Welcome to the Forest Grove United Church of Christ podcast, where the seeds of civility are sown, nurturing a garden of compassion and understanding. In this sacred audio sanctuary, we gather to explore the profound essence of civility, weaving together the thread of respect, empathy, and open-hearted dialogue. Join Pastor Brendan on this transformative journey as we delve into the power of civil discourse, recognizing that within these conversations lies the potential to heal, bridge divides, and foster a harmonious world. Let's listen in. Well, good afternoon, Pastor. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, Grizz. How are you doing? I am doing well, doing well. Well, we're going to talk today about the idea of civility and really how does civility impact the faith community, how we should respond to it, not just in the faith community, but just as, as people. What does it mean? Uh, all those things we want to kind of dive in today and kind of find out and explore that topic. So do you have any opening thoughts? Well, I guess I, uh, my opening thought is a question. What, what do you mean when you, uh, when you hear the term civility? That's a great question. It, it can really mean a lot. I mean, literally, if you look at it, it, it talks about being polite and listening to somebody else and their point of view. That's fine as a starting definition, but I think it, there, it lacks something as well. I think civility in reality should be something that is really geared towards being able to listen to somebody, even if they don't share the same point of view that you have. It doesn't necessarily mean being polite. Uh, and I, I think that can, can definitely be something that is part of that definition a lot of the time that maybe shouldn't be included. How about you? How do you, how do you define it? Oh, gosh. Well, I want to acknowledge that I agree. It seemed like you hit upon this a little bit already. One person's civility is another person's incivility. And another person's incivility is another person's civility, I guess. And <laughs> I guess our listeners might be wondering, why is a faith community talking about civility anyway? And I think it's important to note that, you know, as as pastors, as religious bodies, you know, we're not supposed to, nor is it legal for us to endorse political candidates. But I think it was Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. who prophetically acknowledged how uh, faith communities and religion have the sacred religions, plural, have the sacred role of acting as the moral conscience for society to uh, offer transcendent wisdom on societal issues, you know, the meaning of humanity, our, who we are and how, how we are together and what we're called to be together. And so my faith tells me and my faith understanding tells me that when I hear, it informs what I think when I hear civility. And when I hear civility, I think about, it means to care about civil society and to think that we can have a civil society, a society where we acknowledge our interdependence with one another. And that means it is our in our own individual best interest to care for the collective because indeed we are part of the collective. So that means we work together to have, to help each other access things like healthcare, housing, 
food, education, clean water, clean air, forests. You know, we care for each other in the earth, not just we don't live our lives trying trying to hoard wealth and amass wealth that we can't take with us at the expense of the well-being of the whole and our neighbors. And so there are ethics to civility and there there are values that are civil and values that are not civil. And so those are the conversations that we can be having, I think, when we hear the term uh, civility. And I agree with you, it's it's not uh, considered polite. I mean, it's, it's, it's not necessarily politeness. And I don't know, I think I have I have high, I get hives when I hear the term civility to a certain extent, because uh, I, I think oftentimes, uh, depending on who's using the term, civility can mean having no boundaries uh, with uncivil behavior and viewpoints. Yeah, and that's, that's a really great point, because there are certain viewpoints that draw or go past an ethical line that you really can't engage with somebody with a, with a civility mindset or a civil mindset, even, you know, something like that, that's extremely racist. Like if somebody has some kind of idea that a certain person is inferior to them because of a certain, their gender, their, their race, their sexual orientation, any of a number of reasons, that's not someone you can really be civil with because they've drawn, they've gone past a certain line where it doesn't mean you have to be rude to them. It doesn't mean you have to insult them back, but they've passed, they've crossed a certain line that goes beyond civility. I agree. I, I wanted to bring into our conversation some of the points that Timothy Snyder makes in his book on tyranny, 20 lessons from the 20th century. I mean, of course, World War II was fought under the premises that fascism can't be uh, contained it can only or appeased. It can only be abolished and extinguished. It is it is the embodiment uh, of all that is uncivil. The twenty lessons from the twentieth century that Timothy Snyder gives us are lessons about how we resist the crumbling of democracy, the crumbling of civil society, and civil discourse. And the first lesson he says is do not obey in advance. Most of the power of authoritarianism is freely given in times like these individuals think ahead about what a more repressive government will want and then offer themselves without being asked. A citizen who adapts in this way is teaching power what it can do. Well, since 2016, we saw power doing a lot of things uh, that very true. Uh, were that that we had not seen it do before, and we failed as a society in drawing a boundary uh, and 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 holding the line against uh, running a campaign based entirely on the dehumanization of certain groups like immigrants and Muslims. Uh, James Baldwin has a wonderful quote. The writer James Baldwin has a quote. He, he writes, we can agree to disagree and still love each other unless your disagreement is rooted in my oppression and denial of my humanity and right to exist. Well, we spent, a, in, in the name of civility and civil discourse, we tried to defend the character 
of people colluding and co-signing the dehumanization of certain groups of people among us because we were too passive or conflict averse to stand up to the racism and bad character of some people who are neighbor who are our neighbors and relatives civility is not polite and civility calls evil by its name and so i think we have to do a better job as we go forward because the the lack of boundary setting created a situation where we now are dealing with a society where there is very little to no real accountability for for instance the domestic terrorism of january 6th that attempted to overturn a democratic election that's one example or the criminal who emboldened that movement a uh, this person also receives no accountability and is given all sorts of airspace and we also Very have true. to remember we also have to remember and again i want to uh, i want to say that no uh religions can't endorse or, uh or speak against uh certain political candidates but we can uh defend civil society and we can call criminals criminals yes and i think it's also important like like dr king did is when there's injustice we have to raise our voices Absolutely. and i think we unfortunately there was so much injustice in that last campaign cycle an election cycle and continues um, that we have forgotten that I think just some of those core values that we should have as a faith community and even just as American citizens, this mm -hmm. idea of justice and equality and fraternity for all that were foundational to our country. We, we, those have just been put to the, to the wayside and aren't important and, and I think that is such a ma major tragedy in our country uh, that that's happened and that we allow it to happen and that we continue to allow it to happen. And we need to we need to raise our voices. We need to vote, of course, uh, do all those things, you know, the good civics uh, that we should have as citizens of this country. Well, Timothy Snyder also talks about in resisting tyranny and in preserving civility, we also have to be reading. And I think that there's an entertainment quality to cable media that simplifies con conversations that need to be, that we, that we really need to be thinking critically when we engage. I wanted to say again how I think that dehumanization was given a platform in ways that it was not before because of the sen the sensationalism that boosts the ratings of cable media networks that are owned by six major corporations. We are often dealing with a manufactured discourse in this country that often follows ratings and sensationalism rather than uh, critical th thought and discourse. An example of that is how you turn on 
MSNBC or CNN or Fox or one of the major networks, and they're talking about terms, sound bites, like the term woke, like some people like the term woke, other people don't like the term woke. That's not news. Right. Some people believe that Indigenous people's history and the history of slavery needs to be taught in schools to our kids so they can be informed citizens growing up in the United States of America. Other people don't. We need to have have that conversation and explore why that is and what needs to happen so we can maintain civil society, not not argue with each other over words. And we we see that dynamic happen on, on so many different levels. So Timothy Snyder talks about how be he he writes about how beware the one party state. Europeans lived through fascism. They understand what happens when you do have a one-party state. And in the United States, when corporations have the same rights as people, and you have a situation where corporation corporations and big business has such a stranglehold over the government, you don't really have a conversation about public policy anymore, it seems. And what is called left, right, and center are not what the rest of the world calls left, right, and center. In the United States, we have two parties that represent the interests of gigantic corporations. Very true. In other countries, you have a, a left party. You have the socialists talking about you know, we need to have a robust public sector where we pool our taxes and cover things like healthcare, housing, food, or an education, and make sure that we all share in that together. And then you have the capitalist parties who say, actually, we shouldn't have those things. We should be paying for roads and bridges and, and also uh, having more of a free market and not limiting big business, big, big businesses. Right. Americans don't even know how to think or talk in those terms. That those aren't the conversations we are we're having. We we are we reduce it to do you have a rainbow flag on your car or a let's go Brandon flag on your car like it's a sports team. And we right. we actually need to be able to have um critical conversations about public policy and what our society is going to look like. Yeah. Put an end to the culture wars that have, that's what it's dominates, you know, the news networks. It's more about culture and and interpretations of culture. And, and also this is how power uh, divides and conquers, you know, and the sad thing is, is uh, marginalized groups are the ones who are, thrown under the bus to pit one group against another group. True. You know, pick a vulnerable, marginalized group, make them the target, and then have everybody argue over whose side they're on. But, you know, it's like the, there is that uh, old, uh, old folk song, which side are you on? But that was, that, that, that was singing about the union of of everybody. (laughs) of everyone being together and working together for a civil society versus the interest of, of those who wanted us all to be chained to the company store 
So we really need to get critical and it would be in all of our best interests to get critical and get real. Yeah, I agree. I, I think one of the, the enemies to civility and, and critical thinking is confirmation bias that is so pre- prevalent in society. Like you're talking about CNN, MSNBC, Fox. People are watching those networks because they know they will confirm their pre-biases, that they have existing biases that they have already. It, there's little on those networks that will challenge their, their thinking about an issue, whatever that issue is, whether it's taxes, whether it's support for legislation for minorities or for one of those people groups that are, that are oppressed or marginalized. There really isn't any critical thinking that happens on those shows. So, so where can we get critical thinking or get, or get exposed to ideas and thoughts that might challenge our own viewpoints when the news networks are pretty much there just to confirm what we already believe? People that are left wing are not going to watch Fox. People that are right wing are not going to watch MSNBC. So where do we get those? Well, what people, I, if you ask me, people need to be reading books. People need to be turning off their TV and getting off the TikTok. And rather than forming opinions based on two second TikTok reels and melting their brains, they actually need to, we actually need to be researching and reading books. I sound very crotchety right now. And no one is going to like this, but I'm going to harp on Tim Snyder again. Uh, He really does emphasize the importance of, uh, you know, well, first of all, he, one of the lessons is believe in truth. To abandon facts is to abandon freedom. He writes, if nothing is true, then no one can criticize power because there is no basis upon which to do so. If nothing is true, then all is spectacle. The biggest wallet pays for the most blinding lights. And that big wallet is what I was talking about when I referred to the six six corporations that own uh, cable media networks. We do need to be reading history. We need to be reading books. We need, our kids need to be learning history and their, their schools, actual history. And as far as civil discourse in the interest of upholding a civil society goes, it's, I think it's important that we assume positive intent of each other until our experience tells us that positive intent is not there. Agreed. And I think we, we need to err on the side of, of, of curiosity. Uh, but what we must not do in the end, it says to abandon facts is to abandon freedom. If nothing is true, then no one can criticize power. I mean, and he also writes, encourages that we investigate. And I, he talks about the importance of subscribing to print media, looking to sources of media that are listener supported, publicly funded, uh, peer reviewed, expect, uh, respected journalism. And I guess the opposite of that would be chat rooms on 4chan. There's no such thing, I've said this before, there's no such thing as alternative facts. There are truths and then there are lies. And as we assume, and civil discourse is the process of determining together the difference between truth and lies. And frankly, to understand, to, to, be, able to, to, to be able to do that, 
We need to be able to, as I said, assume positive intent, but we also need to have attention spans that are longer than a TikTok reel. And we also need to have a more robust understanding of history and civics and civil society. And we get that from doing actual research and reading and reading actual journalism. And I don't think we get robust journalism on cable media. I think cable media, unfortunately, has become, I feel like I've, I've watched it become more and more like the tabloids uh, over the years. Personally, I read the New York Times, The Guardian. I watch Democracy Now. I listen to uh, BBC. You know, these these sources aren't perfect either, but I think that they are respected news sources. Absolutely. Where, where you can read you need to, we need to be reading articles. We need to be reading historical journals. More. Yeah, and, and I would even add a, a few others. You know, PBS mm -hmm. uh, is another public broadcasting, The Economist, uh, which is a uh, left center magazine that is published out of the United Kingdom that you can, you can get it in any bookstore or online. I think those kind of things like the, or th those kind of um, uh, publishers like the ones that you mentioned as, as well uh, are, are very important to, to look at because like you said, the, the CNNs, the Foxes, those are talking heads that are really, they're really more paid actors than journalists. They're there to generate responses that confirm the biases of their listeners. In critiquing journalism, I want to make sure that I am not adding my voices to the people crying out fake news. Uh, right. I, I want to make absolutely sure that people understand that is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is this. The Nazi propagandist Joseph Goebbels said you must accuse your enemy of that which you are guilty if you want to control if you want control and if you want to be able to manipulate. And the fact of the matter is that the quality of, of cable media journalism has been poor for a while. What we yes. get on, what we get on TV, like Fox, I think Fox frankly is the most guilty. It's uh, I would consider Fox a racist propaganda network. And as a pastor, you know, when I was, uh, when I was a kid, the pastor would write letters home to people talking all about, why kids shouldn't watch a certain movie, uh, a violent movie, this, that, or the other. Well, I, I, I would say stop watching Fox News, but even more so, yes. <laughs> stop watching, learn, we should be learning what propaganda is, seeking out multiple respected sources of journalism and, and reading books and to be informed citizens. And uh, we should be critical of just the poor quality of the discourse that is presented to us on television. I agree. And, and I think part of this, which plays into this, is the, the dehumanization of so many people by the news, by politicians. This whole aspect of being civil Eliminating dehumanization, I think, is so important to it as well. Uh, Joseph Stalin, not a person to emulate, famously said <laughs> once that the death of one person is a tragedy. The death of 100,000 is a statistic. 
and I see that 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 feels almost like, especially with when we talk civility, obviously a real hot button issue, issue excuse me, is our, our guns. And the prevalence of so many people that have died because of shooters, it feels like it's becoming dehumanized and it's a statistic now. You know, eight more today, 12 on Saturday, 14 tomorrow. And these numbers that are just piling up feel like we're almost dehumanizing those victims in a lot of ways. And I think part of civility is capturing that humanity again and not making those when we're debating those issues, remembering that there's people that are being impacted by it. it it's not just a statistic. Certainly. That could, that could almost be its own podcast. True. <laughs> uh, in, terms of, in terms of manufactured discourses that I think prevent us from having, having an actual critical conversation is the myth of the center. I think when people say, oh, well, I'm a centrist, what they really mean is they want people to listen to each other. They want people to work together. They want people to compromise. That's, I think, what most people mean when they talk about the center. But the center is only a point between two poles. If you have two poles that are upholding policies that crush the public sector and devastate the eco our ecosystems, then what's in between those? What is in, what is in the center of that? What's the middle of that? we can have a conversation about what's better or worse in terms of harm reduction, but really what we need to be doing is exploring ideas, discussing the new ideas that are not red or blue. Right. Like <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, we need to be discussing the nuances of public policy, which do in fact have nuances. Thank you for joining us on this transformative journey of exploration and enlightenment within the Forest Grove United Church of Christ podcast. We hope that these conversations have ignited a spark of curiosity, fostered a spirit of compassion, and inspired you to embrace the principles of civility in your own lives. Remember, the journey doesn't end here. Also, connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok to stay updated on future episodes and engage in ongoing discussions with our vibrant community. If you have any thoughts, questions, or suggestions, we'd love to hear from you. Reach out to us via email at podcast at fgucc.org. Together, let us continue to sow the seeds of civility, nurturing a world filled with understanding and community. Until we meet again.